Hold on. Do you want me to bang my floor? Can you hear the kids? Speaking of. No, I can't hear them. Okay. I'll just. I'll yell at them with my heel. Okay. If you ever want to use, and I'm not telling you have to, but if you're ever like, I, I want to use that as the cold open, but I don't want to have it like Lindsay's yelling at you can totally. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I, sometimes I've thought about doing a whole compilation. <laughs> <laughs> All your heels. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 91. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about becoming self-aware. We've said it so many times before on the podcast, but we here at the Modern Lady love new beginnings and resolutions. New Year's is the time to hashtag be better and to set new goals But before we can begin any of that kind of work, we believe it takes looking at ourselves first with a lot of honesty and humility to get a good gist of where we're starting from. And that's where a healthy sense of self-awareness comes in. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help Modern Lady stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Big JC Fan, who left us a five-star review and said, quote, my absolute favorite podcast. I initially found Lindsay on Instagram, and I'm so grateful that I did. Her account and this podcast have really deepened my appreciation and enjoyment in my vocation of homemaking. In a world that seems to revel in bitterness and violence, Lindsay and Michelle remind me that I control the atmosphere of my own home and that comfort, hospitality, and joy are gifts that I can give my family. End quote. Well, thank you so much, Big JC fan, for your comments. We loved hearing how you're bringing light to the world through making and keeping your home so well. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. And remember, you can now tune in and comment on our episodes on our YouTube channel. Just search for us under The Modern Lady Podcast, and don't forget to click subscribe. Before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Michelle, when I was doing my Christmas reading, namely Twas the Night Before Christmas and Dickens' A Christmas Carol, one thing jumped out at me like never before. Nightcaps! And no, I'm not referring to having a little drink before bed. This will be part one of a two-part series on the history of the nightcap. I always understood that a nightcap is, well, practical. As we know, having a warm house is a really new luxury, and so in order to help stay warm while sleeping, men and women alike have worn some type of head covering over the centuries. But I've since learned that nightcaps or sleeping caps aren't just used for keeping warm, and I've also learned that they aren't just the thing of the past. According to the website SoHistorically.com, all Victorian women wore nightcaps, but by the Edwardian age, the dawn of the 20th century, Those new modern women saw nightcaps as old-fashioned and only something worn by elderly ladies. However, when the highly styled, elaborate hairstyles of the new age grew higher and the curls more intricate, the young fashionable women started seeing the benefit of covering their coiffures with a type of sleeping cap in order to preserve their hairstyles. In a 1910 article, a young woman wrote, Hush! It is quite possible you know it already, but it is a secret just the same. It would never do to have it talked about, but the fact is that all we girls are going back to the fashion of our grandmothers and, yes, wearing nightcaps. These new nightcaps are recognizable to us, often seen on the head of maids in TV shows, called mob caps, and that's M-O-B, mob caps. They were a simple circle of fabric gathered around with an elastic. Sometimes the edge was frilly with lace. They were sometimes called breakfast caps, with prettier versions worn down to the breakfast table. 
The one big difference with the mob cap that you would wear down to the breakfast table is that it wouldn't have the unseemly ribbon tied under the chin, which would keep the nightcap secure while sleeping. Instead, a fashionable breakfast cap would have a ribbon or elastic that tightened the cap, pulled to the side, and secured with rosettes or a bow. A woman of means would never come to the breakfast table in her actual nightcap, the one she slept in. She would change into her breakfast cap. This is especially important if a lady still had curlers in her hair. In 1912, the Los Angeles Herald reported that by hiding one's curlers under a cap, well, quote, at least the early breakfaster will be spared one special eyesore. Next week, we will look at how to scent your hair with a nightcap, the idea of airing your hair at night, and why we should consider wearing nightcaps again. So I kind of love the idea that we women have kind of always been fascinated with our grandmother's generation. Yes, right? We like, always like papa at first or poo-poo it. What do you say? Papa. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Tomato, tomato, yeah. poo-poo, papa. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, wait a second, granny was on to something. That's right. and But it skips a generation or, or yes. like it just keeps going. So like our daughters will look to our mothers and so on and so on. But it's apparently a historical thing from the very beginnings of history. Um, I also thought about this tip. You know that um, very common in pop culture, like the nightmare sequence of someone walking into their classroom and they, I don't know, like forgot their pants or something and everyone mm-hmm. turns and starts laughing at them. Mm-hmm. Um, this Is this like the Edwardian period or Victorian period equivalent to that? Like a woman walks down in a nightmare sequence and she's wearing her actual nightcap and not the <laughs> yeah. breakfast nightcap. And right. everyone turns and starts laughing at her in like some foggy dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Or heaven forbid, her rollers. Yeah. <laughs> they can't, as they said, it was a special eyesore to see a woman in her rollers. Like, the pressure on women, eh? It's like when, when you're packing to go on that trip, be sure to have your night night cap and your breakfast night cap. <laughs> as we're all gearing up for another year, I think it goes without saying that it can be incredibly motivating to put new plans into place and take on new challenges. But sometimes we can fall into the trap of just diving into more novel pursuits without a serious look at who we are and where we're actually coming from. And often that can make quite a bit of difference, right, Lindsay? That's right, Michelle. I realize that in almost every episode of the Modern Lady podcast, I say the words, it really helps if you're self-aware or being self-aware is key. And then I realized that perhaps you and I might have a bit of an advantage here over our non-Catholic listeners because so much of our daily life as Catholics involves us questioning every single one of our actions. And right, I think it's no surprise that this is where the age-old comment on Catholicism, you know, people talking about Catholic guilt, it comes in. Mm. But I think Mm -hmm. if you and I were to examine that, we would both admit that it's made us at least, at the very least, very self-aware. Um, Mm. One study estimated that only 10 to 15% of people are truly self-aware. But the good news is, is that you can actually be taught this. There are so many of the topics we have talked about that really could do, like you have to unlearn so much to learn the new thing. There's a lot of things that are really hard to learn, but being Mm -hmm. self-aware actually isn't one of them. You can learn that pretty quickly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And probably one of the reasons is because... (laughs) This is probably a whole nother issue, but it's actually quite easy to think about yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I'm really good like, at that. Oh, that's right. It's like, oh, talk and think about myself. I suppose. Twist my arm. <laughs> yeah. Do another test to reveal parts of my personality. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're not saying that the process, like the ultimate, you know, it, getting to know yourself can be pretty quick, but we'll talk later about how mm-hmm. the overall process can go on throughout your entire life. But if you want to yeah. know right now what you're good at and what you're failing at, yeah, that can happen pretty quickly. Hmm. And I think one of the kind of fun things I think about self-awareness and practicing self-awareness can be that there are quite a few different angles that we can approach it from, right? Like we as human beings are so uh, dynamic and so uh, multifaceted that you could come at it from, and I know we'll talk about it, like from a psychological perspective, a, a more secular perspective. You mentioned, and I know we'll talk more about like 
a spiritual perspective, um, especially for us in the context of the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. Um, there's really just so many different avenues. There really is so much to discover that it can be can be overwhelming, but I think ultimately exciting more than that. I think so too. It was first defined as a concept in 1972 by Shelley Duvall and Robert Wickland in their book, A Theory of Objective Self-Awareness. Their main thought process revolved around the concept of separating how you view yourself from your environment, identifying which objective standards you normally measure yourself against. Rather, if you are self-aware, then you can measure yourself against your own personal standard of correctness. And by correctness, they mean what you should do, what we think we should do in Mm. any person. So it was like really being able to separate then as you became more self-aware, measuring yourself against your own standards, right? Again, or against the uh, standards of the environment around you. They also proposed, and this is just too much for my tired mom brain, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that we're going through right now, but they also propose that we are not our thoughts, rather we are the thinker, which is separate from our thoughts, and my thoughts just can't handle that right now. <laughs> yes. Now, this was further taken uh, into a new direction by Tasha Urich. She is a researcher and psychologist, and she then broke self-awareness down into two different categories, the internal and external self-awareness. Mm. For internal, it's about how you clearly see yourself your values, hopes, passions, and then how they, again, fit into your environment. You can also then see how your reactions line up with your environment. Um, Are your feelings, beliefs, strengths, weaknesses, um, are they in alignment with your job and with your life? And then external Mm -hmm. self-awareness is the ability to clearly see and understand how others see you. And this one is particularly important for those who are in like a leadership position, um, you know, or, or a managerial role in their jobs. Tasha Yurik was also talking about how that when we start to measure ourselves and we start to figure this all out, we can tend to really simplify it into just thinking, well, I have failed or I have passed. Like we're just so programmed to think fail or pass at these things, right? Mm, yeah, it's a bit harsh. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no room for nuance or um, yeah, grace, like forgiveness of mm-hmm. yourself. And um, this is really interesting. I'd be interesting to, interested to know, is this like a subconscious thing or a conscious thing we do? Yeah, I think they made it sound like it was more of a subconscious thing. Like you just are mm-hmm. like you were just kind of. Mm-hmm you know in your gut if it's worth changing or not. And I think that in that second of that process, thought process, we go over all the times we've tried to fix things previously that are maybe similar mm-hmm. to that, right? Like let's talk about losing weight or starting an exercise program or going to bed on time or any of those things, right? We can, within mm-hmm. a millisecond, your brain can process all the times you failed at it and you're like, eh, <laughs> eh mm-hmm. forget it. But that's, yeah, and that's what I was thinking, like, is it any wonder that we so very quickly uh, can be derailed <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and drop goals and, and be demotivated, unmotivated, right, from, from achieving that goal? Yeah, like that, so you're trying to be self-aware, but it's not fixing anything then. You're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know I'm not going to do good. Like the, the whole purpose of becoming, growing in self-awareness then is to move forward, right? Is to figure out why you haven't been able to be successful in those goals before. And right. I don't, all of the secular sources I was looking at, they, um, first of all, a lot of them were geared towards the workplace and it was all about being successful in your mm. job, being, a, um, growing to a place of leadership, success, 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 knowing yourself that you can sell yourself better, knowing yourself so that you can like take control of conversations better. No, like it was all geared towards that. Um, and the other thing I noticed too, is that so much of this, this realm of self-awareness in the secular world is based on knowing the good parts of yourself right? You and I were talking about this earlier. Like it's like becoming self-aware so that you can love yourself. It's all about loving yourself more. And Mm -hmm. that still misses the mark as well, because, well, why would you grow if you love yourself? Right. If you're already perfect, then what need have you of being self-aware to grow? (laughs) You can't be better than perfect. I know what you're saying about that. Like um, there's a tendency, there's a danger in a way to the uh, more secular 
it would be like the self-help genre in mm-hmm. general, right? Where I feel like in a lot of ways, it's more of an affirmation thing than a helpful yes. thing, yes. right? So, and that's not always bad either. Sometimes you need to be affirmed. Like if you have a sense that something is not quite right, mm-hmm. sometimes it helps to be affirmed in that, oh no, this is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Um and that's good. But eventually it comes to the point where you're like, okay, then what do I do about that? And that's where I personally, I'm reading a book right now that could be considered self-help genre. Mm -hmm. And even I was thinking as I was reading, like, okay, eventually I I just want you to tell me now, do you have any suggestions on how I can change this or how I can fix it or how I can grow? Um, As opposed to just keeping on with the diagnoses. I think that's kind of where this, maybe a lot of the secular self-awareness stuff gets stuck is just, um, just know it. And then, um, and then that's you, that's you. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> and if you don't like that you, yeah, you can yes. just do another test. Like it's, there's almost been like this obsession mm-hmm. with self-awareness, but not in the way that you and I would perhaps pursue it, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But like there seems to be this, you know, knowing yourself, um, finding your center, fi- speaking your truth, being your authentic mm-hmm. self. I mean, this is really trendy right now, um, but it mm-hmm. is, it, it's like, you're right. It's almost just like a cloaked way of being affirmed. I think, right. you know, when you're in a job interview and they ask you to share one thing about your personality that you need to be working on, like they want another way, but, and then, but you're, everybody so yes. carefully constructs the one thing that is still a positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like sometimes I'm just that. too yes. hard of a worker. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm too punctual and I yeah. feel like that makes other people feel bad. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah, like that's true. That's, that currently mm. is like the dark side of the self-awareness. Like that's as dark as it'll go. And it's like, but we need more. We're, we're hungrier mm-hmm. than that. Now, the other side, sometimes when self-awareness can become too much, it can become a problem. And that's where it's, it's an extreme level of self-consciousness and self-awareness. And this can lead to social anxiety and depression. And I just want to mention that as well, mm-hmm. because that did pop up in some of the psychological sources I was reading or psychiatry sources. So it was saying that when this is taken to an extreme and excessive level, you're thinking about what everyone is thinking about you and that everyone is watching you. And mm-hmm. you know what, this is not the same thing about what we're talking about. And so if you're really struggling with that, you, you probably should talk to your doctor. Right. And I have to say like, that's quite the difference between what you mentioned in the beginning about the internal self-awareness and mm-hmm. that would be considered more external self-awareness, yeah. right? Yeah. A fixation on it. Yeah. So when we look to psychology um, and we look to see how they would guide us to become more self-aware, I've got four things here that are suggested. And the first one is that we start to ask ourselves what instead of why. It's explained that Mm. we can never fully answer why. Um, that that question can often leave us feeling even more confused and more hurt or upset. So instead of saying something like, why did that hurt me? Which seems like the normal thing that we would Mm. ask ourselves, we should try to ask ourselves, what can I do next time so that that doesn't turn out the Mm. same way again? And we, so we need to turn it into a what question because yeah, it is kind of hard to answer. Well, why did that hurt me? So what can I do will help you really still um, identify more um, specific points within yourself, right? About what it was Mm -hmm. that triggered it and what you could do to prevent it. Number two, I know this seems obvious, but this almost never happens to people. And especially right now, we get it. We, our province just announced right before we went to the recording that we are now being issued. It's a stay at home order. So it isn't just Mm -hmm. lockdown. It's a full stay at home order. So number two says, spend time with yourself in silence (laughs) and distraction free. <laughs> we're laughing. Oh. <laughs> We've got we're kids. laughing to keep from t- for to keep from crying. <laughs> yeah. <But> okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we'll try that. Mm. Sure, we'll try that one. Uh, number three, be present in the moment. We talk about this all the time as well. And again, this is something that I think a lot more people are talking about over the last couple of years. And you and I have talked about it a lot. But in this case, it's really stopping to think about what you're feeling at that exact moment. 
and you have to practice this. Mm. This is another skill, but just in that moment, being really self-aware of how you're reacting of what your body is doing, right. Is your heart pounding? Um, mm -hmm. so just, although I was, I was listening to a podcast last night and the, and the doctor was talking about what, but when women get stressed, there is a tight pressure in between her breasts and her rib cage right there that she can feel a mm. physical clenching and that, that men don't feel it in the same way like that. So I thought that was really interesting and that you have to, um, relax, right? Like, so being really, really mm -hmm. present and thinking about what your body's doing. And then number four, be a better listener. So be open to what people have to say to you and mm. ask for feedback. And that's something I've really worked on with Jason, um, you know, and my kids over the last couple of years, I'm not good about asking it from other people. Um, but I have started asking it from my husband and kids to be like, just tell me, am I being, am I being not so today? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really difficult to hear sometimes, especially if you're already kind of in a place where you're mm -hmm. feeling maybe vulnerable or raw, I would say, mm -hmm. right. Um, probably the last thing you want to do. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, is that something if you, when you were struggling with that a little bit in the past, is that something you think you could have even done at that point? I would say it would it would depend on like what else was going on. I think mm -hmm. as well, and we'll probably get um, to this when we start talking about the church and it in regards to faith. One thing that I think that the faith really helps with is that it's kind of always encouraged us to not think that we're beyond uh, improvement. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> that was nice. But yeah. yeah, definitely when I'm having moments of like wondering like, oh, did I do okay? Did I do well? It probably would not have been my first choice of questions to ask somebody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it, it is good to, like we say, practice it, especially with people that you know you can be safe with and who aren't going to take yeah. advantage of the situation. I think that has always, um, that can also be something that stops people from asking for pause for constructive feedback is that we may not have a lot of trust in a lot yeah. of people not to take advantage of that vulnerability to start airing their own <laughs> personal grievances and that's not what we're asking for right now it's not what we can handle so yeah. I think that could be uh, an obstacle to that too all right. Well, I'm glad you brought up the church because we are ready now to share some of the tools that the church provides. And these are still new for me. I mean, I've learned about a lot of these over the last couple of years, but having come from that secular world and tried to use those tools and a lot of the tools just saying, you're great. You're great at everything. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I already thought that. <laughs> so I didn't need more tools telling me that I was great um, because right. I didn't, I really didn't think I had a ton of room to grow. I thought everybody else mm -hmm. around me needed to grow. And so I will forever honestly be thankful for that solid dose of Catholic guilt for showing me all of the areas where I'm not living in alignment with God's will. That's the crux of this. This is what we're going to talk about. Everything is going to point back to. It's not that you're being a bad person or you're wrong or all these things. It's that is every decision and action and thought, is it all in alignment with God's will, right? That's, that's what our goal is as Catholics. Yeah. And do you know what the, as you were saying that, that just pointed out a really another difference between the two approaches, right? Mm. It's that sometimes in the secular world, the temptation can be to just blame everybody else for your yeah. problems. That yeah. actually there's nothing wrong with you at all. It's everyone else's problem, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. And th that, as we can see, that it has not served our society all that well, <laughs> that kind of mentality. And it also is actually not empowering at all either. It kind of leaves you feeling a little bit helpless, ironically, because how can you control everyone else? Yes. <laughs> Whereas what we're going to discuss in regards to the church's approach, what the church says, and it's even in the Gospels, right? Jesus says, um, ignore um, the splinter in your brother's eye and take care of the log in your own eye first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I think that's what a lot of the self-awareness in the church, it directs us to say, okay, you might not be able to impact or influence anybody else, but you still have absolute control over how you improve. And that's where we're going to focus first. Yes. And I, and now something else jumped out at me too. Another big difference that I'm just realizing too, is that all the focus is on you, 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 which isn't both of them. But then like we we're like I was saying with the original description of self-awareness, that it was um, making sure that your actions were in alignment with your own sense of correctness. 
right? And if everybody was just living according to their own sense of correctness, well, I mean, there is no um, objective truth then. And you get Mm -hmm. to where we're at now, (laughs) where everybody goes, well, it's it's my truth. It's my authentic truth. It's my, what I deem as correct, what I should be doing. And obviously that's the complete opposite here. So we are getting to know ourselves just like they are in the other way, but we're getting to know ourselves so that we can seek to align, to um, submit ourselves to God's will, not even to fully align ourselves. Like I need to push down the prayer I say Mm -hmm. every week at mass. All I whisper over and over is less of me, more of you, less of me, more of Mm. you, right? Mm -hmm. That is the cry of the Christian. Well, and it's true too, because there's an article I was reading from a website called Mm positivepsychology.com where it defines self-awareness and it actually uses the word um, objectively. So Mm -hmm. the ability to see yourself clearly and objectively through reflection and introspection. Mm -hmm. But exactly like what you noted and pointed out is that when it's your own truth, that's not objective. (laughs) (laughs) That is the actual definition of subjective. And (laughs) there, there is no room for Oh, I don't know how many billions of people there are in the world right now um, to all be living with our own subjective truths, no matter how self-aware we are of them. Mm-hmm. There's just uh, we cannot find peace that way. So I find it interesting that even from the secular perspective, though, I think there is still a concession that at least from their perspective, some of it needs to be objective. You know what? You're totally right, Michelle, because when I was looking into this, this journey to self-awareness obviously started before, you know, Jesus came there. There's a whole history mm-hmm. within philosophy of self-awareness. And so um, there, there has always been that quest, right? This To know yourself and to do better. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's from mm-hmm. the beginning of time. So some ancient philosophers, they had a type of something called an examination of conscience, which is what we'll go into oh. a lot more in a minute. But they did something like that and they did it in order to be blamed in their own sight. So this is what we're still talking about. It's mm. they're you're objectively looking at themselves and they're trying to live in a way that they can be blameless to themselves. Now, this group, were, they were known as the Stoics. They actually linked happiness to living a life of virtue, right? I mean, like they're so mm. close. <laughs> um, dignity, <Yeah. laughs> uh, their own personal dignity. They, they linked it to living in compliance with the law of reason and that their goal wow. was to seek moral perfection. And I mean, this is everything that you and I believe in. It's just that we believe that that is encapsulated perfectly within within God. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is that perfection that the philosophers would have been talking about. It's the same perfection that we see going right into Genesis chapter 17 when God says to Abraham, walk before me and be perfect perfect right there Mm. in the first book of Genesis. But what do we mean about that type of perfection? And, you know, that's where we then have to really dig deep and look. And so again, for you and I, our view on perfection is that we are as closely aligned uh, with God's will and in the person of Jesus Christ as possible. Mm -hmm. So Talking about an examination of conscience, this is something, uh, maybe I learned it first five years ago. I don't know. Michelle, you're a cradle Catholic. Was it something you had heard about growing up? I have. Um, my parents talked about it all the time. Going to church every Sunday, the churches always have, uh, they're usually well-stocked, I would say, with little pamphlets, mm-hmm. with little examinations of conscience that you can practice. And I would say that would be more of a family thing. I didn't okay. hear a ton of it formally talked about even, you know, during homilies or not in school or anything like that. But yes, in the family. Okay. So when we do this type of examine, we establish, we must establish whether our intentions and our actions were in conformity to God's will or not. Now, this is biblical. St. Paul asked that everyone do an examination before receiving the Eucharist. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said at the end of that passage, if we could judge ourselves, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now, Mm. a proper examination of conscience doesn't just root out and reveal to us where we're falling short. It really should prompt us then to change. It doesn't just Mm -hmm. leave us there, right? Especially when it's done in 
preparation for the sacrament of confession, which is what it is usually linked mm. to in the Catholic church. So normally a Catholic should do this examination of conscience. And just to be clear, an examination of conscience, like Michelle is saying, it's usually on, a, like you can get them in a pamphlet. They're all over online. You can find them everywhere, but they're usually rooted in the 10 commandments. You'd go through them in mm -hmm. detail. And I know, I know you could go, well, I didn't murder anyone check, but nope, they have that murder <laughs> broken down into yeah. what a lot of different <laughs> meanings. <laughs> I didn't steal oh oh yep. yeah yeah <laughs> check out uh, a catholic examination of conscience and especially a good one uh -huh. i know i'm still dis i'm still discovering like level up examinations of consciences mm -hmm. and this is like i said having um been familiar with them for most of my life and i've i just keep discovering new ones the most recent one about a year ago i found a new one and i read through it and i'm like wow yeah. this is like <laughs> This is detailed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah it's, it's... but it's good, though, because there are things I would have never thought about myself. And it, it, it prompts these questions. It prompts a deeper sense of self-awareness. Absolutely, it does. And it hurts right? It really hurts yes. because nothing there. I'm telling you, there is no Buzzfeed quiz or nothing that you can do like in the secular world that will make you look at yourself like an examination of conscience. There's just nothing. There's nothing mm -hmm. that is a good one. I, the one I use is the one that the priests use. And man, if you, I know that there's a lot of criticism over the clergy, but if you want to see the examination of conscience that they have to read over, it's quite eye opening. Mm. It's pretty remarkable. Okay. So it's based in the 10 commandments and some other teachings teachings of the church. So um, you just go through in very great detail these questions. And again, you ask yourself, did I do this or did I not do this? And then, um, but it doesn't just leave you there, right? You'd pre be prepared mm -hmm. with that. Then you would go into the sacrament of confession. And then um, the, the, the ending of the sacrament of confession is the resolve to sin no more, right? You need to have true right. contrition, deep sorrow for your sins. Um, and for these ways that you were not acting in conformity to God's will. And then the resolve to sin no more. Yeah, I think that's really important to note, too. And this is just about self-awareness in general, but even in the specific example of an examination of conscience and the sacrament of confession is that some of these things can have kind of a negative connotation or at least like a like it's going to bring you down type of thing but all of these things again mm -hmm. if you're I think it comes down to intention why are you doing this right if yeah. you are looking for affirmation and again like I said like not it's that's not always a bad thing I think we as human beings were made to build each other up and so we do at times look for people to build us up and to encourage us but if your point of self-awareness is to improve as a person, mm -hmm. you can't do that unless you know what's wrong in the first place. And so while it might seem like going along with that Catholic guilt thing, it's like, <laughs> oh, these are just a bunch of Catholics talking about how awful they are. It's like, yeah. no, because, because we know that the trajectory that we're going is up. Right. <laughs> and I have to get rid of some of these sandbags before I can start to rise. And um, I need to know where the sandbags are to begin with before I can do that even. So um, at the baseline of all of this talk is a message of hope and of great encouragement. And so I just wanted to mention that too, because that's important to remember. Michelle, I love that you said that because Though certain, you know, certain people are ready for that really hardcore examination of conscience. Um, most people aren't yet. And so for them, I discovered St. Ignatius of Loyola. He lived in the 1500s. He wrote a book called Spiritual Exercises, and he has a five-point mm. examine. Have you ever heard of this? I have heard of it, but I'm not sure I know those five steps. I love this. So the first point is that we thank God for the benefits that we've received. Now, in order to do this, right, you'd have to list the good things. So you'd have to mm. examine yourself and think about the good things, the gifts within yourself, the blessings in your life. So that's the first thing you do. You thank God for the benefits you've received. The second thing is that we ask for the grace to know and correct our faults. The third thing is that mm. we go over each hour of the day and we just consider our actions and our thoughts. Fourth, we ask God's pardon. And in the fifth area, we promise to change our ways. I feel like that's a really mm -hmm. gentle and loving approach to, to really get into this as a spiritual exercise. Mm -hmm. I like that too. It's kind of like the spiritual exercise version of the sandwich 
<laughs> approach to criticism. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> have you ever heard of this? No. Oh, it's like the general rule of thumb if you have to give someone constructive criticism will say you have to sandwich it so you offer like a really positive affirmation mm-hmm. then you y- you hit them with your criticism <laughs> and then you finish up with yes. something encouraging again <laughs> i yes. feel like these ignatian these five ignatian spiritual exercises is like thank you so much for all the blessings i'm really sorry to that but thank you <laughs> and we promise you better <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, St. Ignatius also had something called the particular examination of conscience. And I believe I've said this before in the podcast, Mm. but I'm going to touch on it again here because I think this is really, really important. So he says that upon waking, you determine whatever particular sinful behavior or actual sin. But if it's a sinful behavior, I'm thinking like yelling or whining or judging people or gossip, Um, whatever one you're ready to overcome that you wish to stamp out of your life. And you concentrate on overcoming it. And at noon, you have to pause and stop and consider it, right? Consider how many times you've done that sort of thing. And you have a little notebook and you actually write down how many times you've done it, what you've said, you keep track of it. And then you do that again at bedtime and you get out your little book. And he says, it's a very business-like approach, just the same way that a business professional would track, uh, hopefully, the decline in losses and the increase in profit, Mm. You need to approach mm-hmm. in that way. And this is the same process you can actually use if you want to grow in virtue. You can pick a virtue that you've been wanting to grow in and you can, you know, set it as your intention for the day. You make note of it. You check in at noon and you check in again at bedtime. And that is a particular examination of conscience. Mm-hmm. I like that because it appeals to our practicality and mm-hmm. our natural sense of reasoning and logic, right? To approach it so logically. So that could definitely be a more tangible step for people to to take if, you know, like we were saying, the other the other methods either in the secular world aren't giving you enough or if the other examinations of consciousness we talk about in the church are maybe a little bit too much right now. All right, Michelle, we often joke that there's a prayer that shall not be named. And we've that's right. right we've <laughs> talked about it before. And it's a prayer so powerful that you will be begging to be made humble, but not that humble. (laughs) (laughs) But not like that. (laughs) But not like that. So it's called the litany of humility. And I am telling you from personal experience, and I'm sure you can vouch for this too, Michelle, right? That when Mm -hmm. I have prayed this prayer for multiple days in a row, my life has unraveled. It is completely unraveled around me. Mm -hmm. Things have happened out of nowhere that I was not expecting that have completely knocked me off my pedestal. This prayer works. And how Mm -hmm. can it not when you're asking Jesus to deliver you from things like being honored, praised, preferred over others, consulted on things, when you ask that Jesus remove your fear of being despised, forgotten, ridiculed, and wronged, when you ask in prayer that others may be loved more than you, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and you decrease, that you go unnoticed while others are praised, um, and that you become only as holy as you should be while others all around you seem to grow far holier. (laughs) So I don't know, man, oh man, tell me. When you pray that, if you don't have an immediate and strong response in your gut telling you who you are and who you need to be. Yeah, um, I have to say that praying this prayer, this litany of asking Jesus for all these things, it truly is something that is kind of like exercise where Mm -hmm. you really don't want to do it at first. Um, And then afterwards, after you've kind of gone through a bit of the pain (laughs) Mm -hmm. of being corrected, maybe in some of these areas that you do struggle and giving up control and desire, um, that you, uh, I don't think I've regretted praying it after the fact, right? It truly is transformative, like you were saying, but truly in in a way that is meant to orient you towards something far, far better than, than just ourselves, ultimately. Yeah. You know, another tool from the church to help um, in my own journey of self-awareness over the last few months has been seeking spiritual direction from a priest in my case. Um, and I've heard about it for so many years and I've prayed for a spiritual director for a, for a long time. And basically what it is, is, as, is really kind of the way I see it, talking about where God is directing you to go in life. And that the Holy Spirit will speak through the priest 
um, to you. And it's a means of figuring out what you're supposed to be doing right now and where you're supposed to be going. I have found this to be really, really good for my sense of self-awareness because there have been moments where my director has mentioned something that I may have kind of glossed over, but he'll kind of call back to something I mentioned in passing and we'll dig a little bit deeper into that and I'll think, oh my goodness, I would have missed that you know, had I been on my own. So like, it's not a requirement by any means, but it is a tool that the church uh, recommends. And a lot of the saints had spiritual directors. Especially when you have the same flight plan, you have the same goal end goal, right? When you pay yeah, yeah. a therapist or a counselor or something, you might not both have the same goal. My goal is heaven. And so is my spiritual directors. So we both are making sure that everything that we're doing is going to get me there. Um, and mm-hmm. so you need to be on the same page with that. It is not counseling. Let's be really clear on that. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. it is a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work through, preferably a priest, um, to do your appointments. Um, I've been blessed with the spiritual director over the years. And if there are times where you're in the appointment in the session and you think, all right, well, nothing big is happening. Like nothing, I didn't learn anything Mm -hmm. earth shattering. But when, because it is the Holy Spirit, that next month, <laughs> right, in between appointments, yes. a lot happens in that in that next yes, month. And actually. you, yep, and you are so ready for that next appointment um, as the Holy Spirit has been untying some knots, tying some other knots in your spiritual life, like just, you know, really gently bringing you along. And I know that you and I are both incredibly blessed to have a spiritual director. It is very hard to find one, but it is definitely Mm -hmm. something if you are asked by a priest, if they, you know, if you'd like them to take you on, say yes, jump at the chance. If, if, if you can arrange this for yourself, definitely take it because it is a wonderful experience. Now, if you can't get someone, there are some things, um, like we were joking about all the personality tests. There are some things that are totally fine in the church. And you and I did a whole episode on the temperaments. So we could suggest mm-hmm. that you really look into finding out what your temperament is. That will help you grow in a lot of self-awareness. Um, you can also do charisms. You can do, there's some great charism tests out there. You can find out, you know, what gift you were, you were given by the Holy Spirit. You'll get to know a lot about yourself with that as well. You can even do Myers-Briggs. One of my other spiritual directors did Mm Myers-Briggs with me. Um, And so there's, there are some other things that you can do to get to know yourself better. Some of these tools that you can use if you don't have access to spiritual director. Um, I do want to advise that you're cautious that, um, you know, looking into all of this to not put all of your faith into it, right? There is a human tendency Mm -hmm. to go, well, that's it. I'm choleric as I am. And then I just (laughs) use that as an excuse for everything. That's where the spiritual director then helps guide you um, through finding out these things. But they're definitely a good tool to have in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. So before you kind of embark, we'll say, on this journey of self-awareness. Lindsay, you and I were talking a little bit about some of the things that we should keep in mind before we yeah. do this as um, as two people who can kind of spiral into <laughs> um, in fascination. Like we're just naturally curious about these things. Um, some things that we've learned to kind of help keep things focused, we'll say. So the first thing that I have been really conscious of over the years when I embark on self-awareness questioning is that you need to feel peace, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That true self-awareness in alignment with grace, it will ultimately give you peace. And even that is a really good benchmark to, you know, notice how you're feeling about something. If it's driving you to a, a darker or a sadder place, then possibly it would be a good idea to stop and examine what you are actually looking into. And that might be a really good impetus to bounce it off of someone else, like what we were saying with therapy or spiritual direction. My priest said in spiritual direction, if there is not peace, it's not of God, no matter what it Mm. is, period. It's it's the simplest way to know that. So even when you and I were talking about the most in-depth questions on the examination of conscience, when you're really like (laughs) purging your soul, there is a feeling of peace with that. 
that that is not an mm-hmm. unsettled feeling and it's hard to convey that if that's something you've never done but there's a deep feeling of peace as you're working through that stuff even though and it's an unshakable peace right so even though you can be feeling mm. temporarily unsettled or that painful process of going through it there is still a grounding of peace and again it's it is really hard to convey what that means unless you've felt it but peace should be the benchmark here and i think part of that knowledge of peace just comes from the sense that now you are able to form a plan and take action, mm. right? Um, you always feel better when you have a plan. And mm-hmm. until you know what it is you're trying to achieve, you can't really do that. So I think even the peace will comfort you um, when you're really starting to look into yourself and ways you can improve, even if there are hard parts or really ugly parts that you don't want to face, you will have peace because you're like, oh, okay. That's where I am. Yeah. Um, and now I can move forward. That That is peace too. The next one is keep it simple. So you and I were talking about this this week that, again, we are rabbit hole fallers. <laughs> we fall down yeah. every rabbit hole. <laughs> we love it. Um, and truly, like the most obscure things. But I think that when you're trying to do this journey of self-awareness, self-knowledge, um, know when to stop. Know where your mm-hmm. limit is, Right read it. As soon as you start to grasp it and you're feeling that bit of peace, when that starts to kind of slip away, go, you know what? Okay, I'm good. All right. I know Mm -hmm. enough that I know I'm choleric. I know I'm prideful. I know these things. Like you don't have to keep digging at it. Don't, you know, you have to keep picking at the wound. Know when to Mm -hmm. stop. We don't have to overcomplicate. This is a multi-billion bajillion, trajillion dollar business. (laughs) Um, Mm, Self-help. That's right. So they are going to try to push on you every book, every resource, every podcast, um, (laughs) everything about these things. And so you can just go, okay, I know enough. I know enough about Mm -hmm. myself right now. I'm going to stop listening to all of that. And I'm going to just start from this point on working on myself. But yeah, you know where to draw the limit. Right. Because ultimately the point of life is not self-awareness, right? It's to live well. And if you're a Christian, to live in a way that makes you holier. So, I mean, you can have all the self-awareness in the world, but if you're not living your life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then that's the, the critical second part of the equation that we need to remember that ultimately our focus and our energy goes to, um, then living out kind of what we've learned, putting the book down and living a little bit. Yes. And the third thing we're going to encourage you to remember is that this whole process, though, it it is ongoing. Like, we are not going to reach perfection um, this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. And so don't be hard on yourself when different things keep popping up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I feel like it's going to for the rest of our lives. <laughs> we'll always be working on something all of our lives. And this is a different way of living, I think. Because if this world is it, then the then the point of life is to become as perfect as we can um, in the eyes of the world anyways. And, and that is yourself. the goal. And if you like just right, perfect right. to your own standards, right? If you don't have anybody else to mm-hmm. answer to, then yeah, that your goal, if this is it, then it would be to, to be the best you that you can be according to your own standards. And that's a lot of pressure, yeah, <laughs> right? But just to know that there will always be things that you will need to work on in your life, that change is kind of an ongoing process. It's a different, it's going to be a different way for you to live. But to quote one of my favorite shows of recent days, The Chosen, there's one quote that says, get used to different. And I really liked that. Um, I can get behind that. I know that a lot of what we talk about on the podcast is a really different way of seeing the world and of seeing things than what we're, we might be used to. But let's get used to different. And I think even that is a really encouraging, hopeful call for us to do some of this deep work and to come out better on the other side. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? This is a repeat. I'm sorry that I have to share this again, but we love it even more than I think I loved it when I first shared this on what what, what I'm loving this week. So I mentioned before, 
on BritBox. There is a version of Sherlock Holmes that started in the 1980s Mm. and went right through to the early 90s. And it stars Jeremy Brett as Sherlock. And yes, people, I have seen Benedict Cumberbatch and he's a great Sherlock, but Jeremy Brett has my heart. I am just obsessed with the show. Um, The details, the sets. Oh my goodness. Their apartment is gorgeous. The acting. And aside from a little 1980s styling on some of the ladies, um, it's, it's just perfect. It is just really, really well done. My big kids are obsessed and they're so obsessed that they help us rush to get everything done at bed. So we bedtime so we can get our younger two into bed. They have watched it too. They're totally fine with it, but we just like having time with the big kids. So it's our special Mm. thing with them at night. And you know, there is some language and content in the newer Sherlock that I'm just not comfortable with in our home. And this older, cleaner version isn't lacking at all in its atmosphere and its Mm. storytelling. And so it's just truly great for the whole family. So it is just called Sherlock Holmes. It's on BritBox. Look for the one starring Jeremy Brett. Okay. Well, you know, we just finished. Now we're all caught up with Shetland. Oh, you over are. Christmas. Yes. <laughs> and I was a little bit disappointed this morning when I realized that I, I can't find season six yet, mm-hmm. um, at least where we are. So maybe, maybe Jeremy Brett can get me through. Yes. I'm hoping. <laughs> so Michelle, what are you loving this week? Okay. So like I alluded to before, um, mm-hmm. what I'm loving was actually the the TV series, The Chosen. Mm-hmm. And I know what you might be thinking right now if you've heard of this show. Really, Michelle? A TV show about Jesus? <laughs> but um, <laughs> you cheer me out, okay? Um, so in the series seeks to be the first multi-series show about the life of Jesus. And I actually love this idea because although there are fantastic movies about Jesus's life, mm-hmm. it is true that often a film has to try to condense a lot of events and conversations into a short amount of time, like maybe two to three hours. But having a TV show format really allows for a lot more context and history and even like character relationship developments because every episode is about 40 to 50 minutes and it just takes on one or two events or storylines. So it has really fleshed out a lot for me regarding a few stories and people from the Bible. Now, this first season really dives into, uh, you know, Nicodemus, who is the, the the one disciple who came to Jesus by night, and then um, fascinatingly Saint Peter's history. Um, it just made so much sense seeing the events of Peter's life that would have led him to so quickly and fully agree to follow Jesus mm. when that time came. Now, I have to say that I have two favorite episodes that are tied, and it's between the one Jesus Loves the Little Children, which is an entire episode about Jesus's friendship with a group of, group of kids before Aww. he begins his public ministry, and it is as delightful as it sounds. And then the episode featuring the wedding feast at Cana. Um, you know, you ask yourself, like, yeah, why were Mary and Jesus invited? Who were these people? Why do they need so much wine at, at a wedding? Can St. Andrew dance? Like, all these questions and more are answered. <laughs> so I'm glad to see a well-produced show on the life of Jesus that's out there right now. And it kind of goes along with what we've said in our entertainment episodes, that we're starting to see, like, good quality entertainment of this type of genre and so whenever that comes out I try really hard to support it. Okay that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today you can find us on our website www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to our new YouTube channel, which is called, you guessed it, The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.